every culture across time has told stories. Well, there would be only be one reason for that. It's because stories exist to pass on survival information. Hello, and welcome to You Are a Storyteller. In this episode, Brian and Jesse discuss what stories really are and why we tell them. Because without a shared definition of story, we have no way of knowing if we're doing it correctly, and we risk sacrificing clarity in the process. What's kind of cool about this is like, I think we're about two years Mm -hmm. in-ish, maybe two and a half at this point, and kind of exciting news this week, we are now joining the CoLoop Podcast Network with some friends of ours, and as part of joining that network, I'm sure we're going to get a, a, a new folks listening to the show. And so we thought this week would be a good time to not only reintroduce ourselves, but also to kind of go back to the very beginning and talk about some of the most fundamental questions when it comes to storytelling. You know, for the folks who have been listening to us for the last couple of years, uh, I think this will be kind of a fun refresher for you. Um, um, but just at a high level, the reason why our show is called You're a Storyteller is that that's what we're trying to communicate. That's what we're trying to prove is that you, as a member of the human species, have everything you need to be a world-class communicator already. And so this show is dedicated to not only helping you understand how story works, but also by proxy understand the power that you have as a storyteller to make change as you see fit. So uh, my name is Jesse. I co-host of this show with Brian McDonald. Brian has taught everywhere from Pixar to Sony to Ford, you name it. In my opinion, Brian is the kind of Joseph Campbell of our time. You'd never say that, I know. Um, And so mostly the show is about me asking questions and trying to get stuff out of your head so that hopefully it is of use to somebody out there who's stuck. Classically, our audience is professionals. Um, It's funny, like we'll, we'll, we'll look at like the viewer count, but, but amongst those viewers, it's, it's, it's a lot of peers and it's a lot of people that we really respect. And so, um, Usually our content is most helpful for people that are, that are actually working. Um, and I think this is our opportunity to maybe get to some new folks. And so that's kind of my, my setup, Brian, would you like to introduce yourself? Anything I didn't say? Uh, no, you said all the things that uh, are, are embarrassing for me to even think about, about myself. There you go. So, oh, we should talk about the movie you showed to HBO. Maybe we should talk about, you know, some of the other awards you've won. Okay. We'll, we'll skip all that and we'll yeah. just get to the episode. <laughs> Cause I know, I know you won't be excited about that. Yeah. Sound good? Uh, yeah. I have nothing to say. I have nothing to add. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, you'll also notice that the format of our show is either, usually it's an episode where I'm asking Brian questions or it's an episode where Brian's asking one of his friends or peers. That's where if you go back into the catalog, I know that we have, we just, we have Paul Feig coming up. Uh, you interviewed Frank Oz, different folks like that. And so there's a, so when you see kind of the difference between episodes, Masters of the Craft is, is Brian talking to one of his peers or friends and you're a storyteller is really me trying to pull stuff out of your head that is uh, geared more towards um, uh, how to actually apply writing versus the master of the craft is more interviews around conversations around craft. Can you, can you talk about why you wanted to focus on craft, Brian, as opposed to maybe some more of the surface level engagements around stories with these friends of yours? Well, because um, I think um, craft is a thing that, now, you can learn it if you're lucky enough, for instance, at talking about writing and, and um, for television or something. Um, but even comic books, which I've done, you can get you can get craft from other craftspeople. So other craftspeople might tell you, oh, you want to do this and not that. You want to do this and not that. But you kind of have to be on the job to get that from people. So if you're a television writer and you're on staff, um, you know, there are people who've been there longer, who've been in the business longer, who will, you know, can give you a suggestion here or there about how to write a joke or something if you're on a sitcom or um, that kind of thing. But, um, but if you're not in the room, you don't hear it. You don't get it. Um, you don't see where your issues are that could be corrected or finessed. Um, and, and I, I had to, you know, learn my trade on the street. So, uh, uh, so I didn't, I didn't have that kind of a setting or those kinds of, for the most part, sometimes. Um, and so I thought it would be nice to, uh, selfishly for myself, talk to people about how they do this, how they do this kind of work, uh, around storytelling. 
Um, but also, you know, I, I was working on a project with, um, with somebody I was, uh, I was, a, I was a fan of his work and he asked me to work on this movie for it, help him structure it. And so I was working with him and he's got a lot of fans and I'm one of them. And, and, uh, so I felt really, um, like I was in a very privileged position. Oh, look at the sun coming in. <laughs> that's um, you look like the sun God, right? Yeah. Well, that's it. So, okay. so that'll all, you know, we'll, uh, yeah, yeah, we planned that. Yeah, we, that yes, yeah, that's yeah. part of the budget. We budgeted for the for the effects. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so I felt uh, a little like I had a um, a really good seat, a front row seat to uh, an amazing show about craft, and I felt um, like other people would want that, want to be a fly on the wall. Um, you know, I was interested in seeing how he worked. Um, and so I was there both participating and observing. Um, and I, I think I had something to add and contribute. And I think that people would have liked to have seen that exchange. And so that this is sort of a version of that. And then selfishly for myself, I get to pick people's brains and, and figure out how they do what they do. Um, um, and even among my friends, it's not something we talk about very much. Um, and so, but this venue uh, helps focus the conversation. That's awesome. And it's, it's really fun too, because a lot of these folks, like we were just talking about Paul Feig a second ago, where you've known 30 some odd years. So you can go really kind of deep, really fast and kind of get into conversations that we probably normally wouldn't get to hear just on a, you know, on a radio show or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, for me on the side of the shows that you and I do, it was always, I, you know, you were mentoring me and teaching me so much stuff that I was like, God, man, how do we invite more people in this conversation? Right. And so a lot of times people you'll hear us say on the show, like, did we talk about this on show? Did we talk about this? Because we talk about this stuff all the time. And so it was, right. this was our opportunity to kind of grab this stuff for folks who weren't in the office here with us, you know, at our business, they could at least kind of almost eavesdrops on some of our conversations because the conversations we're having are not just philosophical in nature. We're trying to solve actual problems. I mean, mm -hmm. you're working on a feature right now. I, I mean, I'm constantly working on campaigns. And so this is, these conversations are very much survival information because we need to apply the things we're talking about. Right. Um, and you've been doing it for such a long time at such a high level. So I, I thought this first episode for the new folks, we should start with really foundational stuff. You know, when we talk about story, God, there's so many weird things out there when it comes to story. Uh, it has become a buzzword thing. I know you've been teaching for so long, Brian. I don't know if story's always been as popular of like a, a buzzword as it is now. No. Right. Uh, it has. Okay, great. So I was, I, I was curious about that because now it seems like everywhere. I mean, you'll look at people's names on LinkedIn. It will say like, master storyteller or yeah. story guru and all this yeah. other bullshit. Yeah. And I'm always like, what does that mean? And so what I would love to do is start, let's start really foundational stuff because one of the first questions you, I think the very first class I took from you, the first really two things that you taught was you gave me a definition of story and then you told me what stories were for. And mm -hmm. so I'm hoping we can kind of start with those foundation foundational elements. And so as, as we jump into this, um, why is it so important to have a definition of story, Brian? Like, why is something like that uh, as important as it is? Because I've never not seen you force people to answer that question. Right. Uh, because, well, there's a couple of reasons. One is we are unaware of... Um, we are unaware of the fact that we could be using the same word and have completely different definitions. So if I'm trying to teach storytelling and how stories work, and if I have a definition and you have a definition and we just assume it's the same definition, we are miscommunicating from the beginning. Everything else falls apart because we've been miscommunicating since the very, very beginning. So, um, I think it's important to have a shared definition for that very reason. The other reason is, um, well, let me say also that people will say story sometimes, uh, like you say, you look at somebody's 
LinkedIn and you look at something and they're like, I'm a storyteller. I'm all about stories and we're all about stories here at this company. And they're not about stories. They're about, um, you know, mood or tone or we, we treat customers this way and, you know, a philosophy, but not a story. And, uh, and so people use it as sort of a catch-all. Mm. And, and that's, that's not very helpful. But there's the, the other thing is that if you don't have a definition, um, how do you know if you're doing it correctly? <laughs> that's a great point. It, yeah. Uh-huh. Right? So it's like, uh, like uh, somebody asked me once about a director. I won't say who the director is. And they said, what do you think about this director? And they said, I don't think he knows how to tell a story. And I said, I think he does. Well, I have a definition, right? Right. So according to my definition, yeah, this director doesn't know how to tell a story. Yeah. Um, you know, he's sort of a, that director is sort of a, a critic, darling, but I don't know if regular people like this person's work very much. And I think it's because he doesn't know how to tell a story. Um, and so, um, and, um, a story I've often told about why I even looked it up. Uh, the definition was that yeah. I was listening to a um, a jazz musician, a bassist on uh, NPR on an interview. I, I, I wish I could find it. I got to find that interview. But it, he's a jazz bassist, this guy. And um, uh, jazz people think, oh, that guy, he's the guy. He's the bassist. I love playing with that guy. He's amazing. So they were asking this guy how he became the guy. And he said, well, I was a bassist for a while and I was good. I was pretty good. He goes, but one day, and I don't know what sparked him, but he said, one day I decided to look up the word bass in the dictionary. And he said, then I I saw that a bass was a foundation and that it supports everything. So I knew what my job was. And he said, I became a better bassist. Right. And so that's the thing. Again, if you don't have a definition for story, how do you know you're doing it? You don't. You think you're doing it if you create a nice mood. Yeah. Right. Uh, It's it's funny because this is one of those throwaway things that might be a dyslexic thing. We talk about it a lot for the folks normally. Let's we talk about being dyslexic where a lot of people, they try to race past one on one stuff you know you talk about this all the time where you're like there is nothing bigger than 101 there's just other permutations of 101 so like stop trying to jump to the next thing and really get the basics in your bones because like that 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 musician once he got bass all of a sudden it matters like definitions matter imagine if how many things do we take for granted like if i said father give me a definition your definition right will tell you everything right you know what i'm saying like there's a lot of things we don't until we sit and think about it. Love, give me a definition. Right. Hate, give me a definition. Story, give me a definition. The work of learning the, the definitions and actually defining that will radically transform the way that you do those things. That's right? true. Does that make sense? What's interesting about definite, even def- the word definition, people have different definitions for. <laughs> because I'll say, uh, give me a definition for a story and they'll say, People will say, um, a way to um, express something. It's like, that's not a definition. Um, first of all, it's not a definition for story. I, that, that's maybe too much of a definition. I'm, I, like, they'll just say, expressing things? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. like that, more yeah. like that. I'm like, that, that isn't even a definition. Or they'll use the word story back to me in their definition. So, um, or change it and, and say, uh, well, story is a narrative that, oh, you just used another word for story. And you're yeah, it, right. Right. Yep. You haven't defined what a story is. Um, and so even definition, yep. even asking for a definition uh, is, uh, is dangerous territory if people don't have a definition for definition. I, I mean, that's just it. It's, once you understand the root, has anybody ever, I remember, I remember uh, somebody told me they used the word meek and they said, well, you know what that word means, right? And I was like, no, it means like soft, right? And they said, no, it means power under control. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that's what that meant. Right. Well, you know, it changes things. 
Mm-hmm. And remember, the point of all these things that you're talking about is to help you actually get work done. Right. So this is not a philosophical thing. I remember I heard you talking to somebody else about this the other day, and you said, listen, you don't have to use my definition of story, but if you work in a team, you better make sure you all have the same one. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's it. I, I, why'd you say that? Because I thought that was an interesting um, kind of setup. Um, because people... There is a school of thought, uh, and people think it's very wise, uh, that things can't be made simple. And if you have a simple definition, there are people whose brains will automatically go, it's more complicated than that. It has to be more complicated. That's where they go. And they have to spin out and make it more complicated, but this, but that, but also this, and right? They So, um, and I, I really do think the hardest thing I've ever try to teach anybody for the most part is how to um, economize and how to simplify and how to be more precise. That is hard for people. So there are certain people who, who hear a definition or hear a method or hear something and think, well, that can't be right. Let me think of the hundred or let me even think of the one exception to that rule and then throughout the whole rule. Right. Um, And so, so just in case, I gave the definition for story and somebody said, well, I don't think it's that fine. I don't, you know what? I don't care. <laughs> right. Like, like, yeah. you know, yeah. um, but you better have one that gets you consistent results that other people understand and can follow and use. And it's a way like we, at, at, at our company, yeah, things run really smoothly when it comes to telling stories, when we have uh, to make a corporate video or something, because we all have the same definition. So the editor has the same definition as the copywriter, as the, like everybody has the same definition. And so the critiques uh, and the adjustments are all coming from exactly the same direction. We're all pulling. Without shared definitions, there can be no shared clarity and without shared clarity, it's going to be a mess. And so if I go, if I go, hey, Brian, I'll go grab your car while you get the groceries. What kind of car you got? And you're like, it's the one with four doors. I'm going to be like, I don't, it's, it's going to be really hard, you know, and they'd be like, what's your problem? It's the one out there with four, like, it's, it's ultimately the goal of everything we're talking about is clarity and focus. From a business perspective, the difference between having a successful business and unsuccessful business, as far as from a sustainability standpoint, is focus. This, not that. And right. so by you saying what you were, fo- what you're doing by adding the definition is you were focusing it and going like, not the whole beach. Here's the sandbox. Yep. Right. And now we can go, do you understand what I'm saying? Because I've been, I don't know when we first met each other, I took a class like six times in a row, something insane like that. You probably thought I was a crazy person, you know, but it was like, I would watch all these people answer this question and they, nobody ever gave a succinct answer. Mm-hmm. You've said this thing before where he's like, you know how somebody's lying And I was like, how's that? And they're like, they talk too much. And it's like, when you listen to somebody trying to define something, you'd be like, oh, what's your definition of design? And they go, ooh, that's well, it's kind of like, you know, uh, earth and how, and you're like, oh, this guy has no idea what he's talking (laughs) about. Right, yeah. Right? If somebody who knows what they're like, if you're talking about Paul Rand, he'd be like, oh, design is the implementation. It's like, boom, they're just like, they know it. That's the foundation. It's the 101, you know, this used to be stuff you'd have to know before you can get a job. And now it's turned into this really philosophical thing. Right. Right. When it was never meant to be. I think people hide behind the philosophy angle. Mm, I don't know how to understand that. Very complicated and very hard to understand. It's a, it's a way to, it's a way to hide. But uh, while I I feel like we need to give people this definition because they're probably like, well, what is it? What is it? You're talking. Uh Yeah. Um, So just so that people have one, um, uh, so I will give you the, the dictionary definition, um, but I've added something to that, to that definition, um, and I'll tell you why in a second. So um, a story is the telling or retelling of a series of events. That's the dictionary definition. Leading to a conclusion, which is what I've added, meaning having a point, right? So the, a story is, is the telling or retelling of a series of events leading to a conclusion. Conclusion not meaning ending, conclusion meaning having a point. Now, um, the reason I feel like, first of all, I, I felt like I needed to add that, but we, we'll talk about that in a second. The reason I felt like I could add it was um, 
the way they write dictionaries. A lot of people don't know how they write dictionaries. Um, I love that you know. You're the only guy I know that goes. You know, a lot of people don't know how they write. Dic- Brian, nobody knows how they write <laughs> dictionaries. Where the hell did you find out how they write? I love that you know how they write. So I guess how do they write dictionaries, Brian? Well, okay. So, so, so um, they they ask a lot of people who they think are smart people, learned people, what they think a definition of a word is. What do you think the definition of this word is? And then they kind of get a consensus, and they go this many smart people, smart people, whatever that means, think the definition of story is this or whatever. Um, and the, the reason I know that is because uh, some people will remember this actor. Some people will not remember this actor, but there was an actor, um, Tony Randall and Tony Randall uh, did a lot of things, worked in movies and television for a long time. But uh, um, one of his most famous roles was on the odd couple playing um, uh Felix Unger. And um, anyway, he was a pretty kind of persnickety kind of a dude. And, and he, uh, he was uh, a word guy. And I heard him talking about how he worked on this dictionary. They just asked him a bunch of questions. And then I looked at the dictionary I had and his name was in there. It's like Tony Randall as one of the contributors to the dictionary. So I felt like, well, if it's just asking people what they think it is, I feel like I'm okay adding, if my life's work is trying to understand stories, I felt like it was okay for me to add to the definition. So here, here's also why it's crazy, in my opinion, that that wasn't the definition to begin with. Because if you listen to somebody who tells you a story, and I'm like, let's not even talk about movies, right? right? Because yep. then it gets weird and people start attributing a bunch of crap that's never there. Right. Let's just say you went out to lunch with somebody and they told you a story and there was no conclusion. How does that feel? And you're like, you're sitting there going like, so, and then you're like, so what? And you're like, did you lose your job? I mean, what, <laughs> what did you, did she yeah. divorce you? What happened? And you're yeah. like, oh, that's not really important. It's like, well, then why did you just spend 20 minutes telling me the story? If there's no conclusion it, it, in real life, things don't work like that. It would be right. the most unsatisfied, like, it, you'd be sitting there going like, I'm sorry, what are we talking about? Mm-hmm. Right. I'm just saying yeah. practically. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. You're right. Like if you're talking about novels or you're talking about movies, then people bring all this stuff. Well, it doesn't have to be the thing that you say it is, but we, yeah. we are very clear on what a story has to be. If you're just talking. To somebody. And that's an important part too. an important element of storytelling is to realize as the title of the show suggests that you are a storyteller and that th- there aren't any rules that you need to learn. Like, I mean, I teach a bunch of them, but it's already stuff you know how to do. You already yep. do it. All I do is give people definitions <laughs> for techniques they already use. Um, it's mm. like I, I just put a, a handle on the tool. Yeah. And then it's easier to use. Um, but when I say storytelling, uh, often people, I, I notice that people do a couple of things when you say storytelling. They will uh automatically uh sort of formalize it and they usually put storytelling in a couple of categories real quick can you explain what you mean by that they formalize it yeah so they'll say um oh storytelling um and they think of tribal storytelling oh native americans they're storytellers or they'll think of it for children right oh yeah storytelling right it's like it's so much broader than that it's like no do you understand when you have a conversation with a person, you cannot have a conversation with anyone without very quickly going into a story about this yep. or about that. Like it's almost impossible. And so storytelling is natural human equipment. Yep. Um, so I think people don't understand that that's what it is. It's just, it comes with the territory. Yep. Yeah. Um, storytelling. It's the, it is the uh, storytelling, it forces focus and clarity. And so when you talk about structure and how you can learn structure by just listening to someone talk, that's because over however many millions of years as a species, we've had to figure out, Brian, don't go in the woods. I got something in my head. I got to get it in your head. And I got to do that very efficiently. It's an efficiency model. And that's what they don't understand. They think it's this 
like really philosophical thing. It's like, no, it's an efficiency model. It's the same reason why it's like we have opposable thumbs. It's the right. same reason we have stories is because if we don't have stories, we're not going to make it very long. Right. Right. And so if I try to tell you the story about there's a bear in the woods and you and you walk away and you're like, I wasn't clear on his, you know, like (laughs) I wasn't really clear on what Jesse was saying. And you walk into the woods. I didn't do my job as a communicator. Right. Right. There was no conclusion. So don't walk into the woods. There's a bear there. Exactly. Yeah. Um, um, It's funny. um, uh, Patty Chayefsky, um, longtime listeners will know who, who we're talking about, but he was a screenwriter. Uh, and a playwright and a novelist, but he was a pretty serious screenwriter. That's right. Um, and Pat Just for those people at home, I have a picture of him hanging on our wall here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but Pat in an interview was talking about, uh, he got cr- a critic, like didn't like his work because they didn't like that. It got tied up in a bow at the end. There was a conclusion. And he said, well, stories are meant to resolve. That's why we tell them. And um, um, I think I read that when I was a teenager or something. I read that and that stuck with me. Like, yeah, that is the point of them. So if you watch uh, any number of television shows now, television isn't what it used to be, right? Television is, um, is almost chapters, right? It used to be episodes where it would be like, this one is about how... Hawkeye learns that blah, 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 right? right. This one is about how Frazier learns, blah, 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 right? Um, and now it just, it, it sort of goes on. And I am uh, of the firm belief that the reason that binge watching became a thing is because these things don't conclude. And so... Um, I don't think it's evidence of a good thing. I think it's evidence of a bad thing. So um, what people, the reason people watch the next episode is because what often happens in, in these shows is almost nothing, almost nothing, almost nothing, almost nothing, cliffhanger, right? right? And then almost nothing, almost nothing, almost nothing, cliffhanger. And so what you're trying to do is get that conclusion. You're yep. getting, you're chasing yeah, you're, the dragon. You're, you're drinking salt water and you're wondering why you're so thirsty. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it feels like you're having a good time. Right. Yeah. But the problem is with nine out of 10 times out of these shows, by the time they end, people are disappointed with that last episode or that last season. And they'll they'll they will say, oh, that last season went downhill or that last episode was awful. It was like, no, it was awful the whole time. They just fooled you for four years. Yeah. Yeah. Like if they knew where they were going they could tie it up in a bow and it wouldn't make sense. Instead, yeah. they don't know what they're going to do by the time they end until they end. And then they go, they'll come up with something. And often it's dissatisfying because it wasn't going there in the first place. So, um, again, uh, something that wouldn't happen in real life. Right. Right. You're like, you, you sit down, grandma, I lost my job. I don't know what to do. She looks over and he goes like, well, let me tell you about the first time I got fired. You think she's got at the end. She'll be like, and then what was the point of that story? What was I? was I here to tell you? It's like, no, grandma's going to tell you something to try to help you out, which really leads us to the second half of the show, which is okay. Now that we have a definition of story, this was the thing, honestly, like Brian, this was the thing that I, I mean, the first time I was in class, I was there and you know, I'm there with a bunch of like, like college students. Right. I'm sitting there. I feel like the old guy in class or whatever. And you were teaching and, and you know, the students are texting and shit. When you said this, I looked around and I was like, does anybody know what's going on right now? Because when you said it, it's like, because I've been making my living as a storyteller, whatever that meant, uh, since I was about 19. And I think I met with you when I was like 32 or something like that. So six years ago or something like that. Um, And when you gave me why stories existed, that was probably the biggest aha moment I've had. Because I, I remember you looked at me and you said, well, Jesse, why do stories exist? And I couldn't answer your question. And I've never been in a class where somebody gives you the answer, right? It's pretty crazy. And then can you talk about why, when you ask people this question, you make them struggle with it? Can you, t- cause you never just tell them you make right. them struggle with it. Yeah. Because uh, it's the same thing I do when I ask what a story is, give me the definition, right? Because the answers are simple. 
And the problem with giving somebody a simple answer is they assume they knew it all along. And then they don't know they've been given something. Hmm. So if you just give them the answer, they go, well, yeah, sure, of course. Right. Right. So let them struggle. So I let people struggle. It's it's uncomfortable. And people think he's not going to just let us struggle, but I'll just I'll just stand there. I don't care. Like um, yeah. they think, well, eventually, if none of us answer, he'll he'll tell us. Um, I mean, I do eventually, but um, I'm hoping to get some answers and I get answers now. And uh, sometimes people get close. Sometimes they don't get close at all. Sometimes they just kind of circle the drain and they like, you're almost there. You're almost there. Uh, they tend to make it more complicated. They tend to, you know, you can boil it down to one word, like human beings tell stories. Hmm. Um, people will often say to, to entertain. That's not it to, uh, you know, because not every good story is entertaining, you know? So it doesn't, that doesn't make sense. The Schindler's list is not entertaining. That's not its job. Its job is not to entertain you. Um, so, uh, or there's a bear in the woods. Don't go out there. This happened to me one time, blah, 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 blah. That's not meant to be entertaining. Yeah. Right. So, uh, no, that's not it. Sometimes they'll say, um, uh, to escape. No, that's yeah. yeah. Sometimes they'll say, um, uh, to, 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 Oh, what do they say? Um, to connect another one um these are all things that stories can do mm. right yeah this is not what stories are for right. they can do all those things um but what are they for why do human beings do it human beings have always told stories since the beginning every culture has to, so every culture across time has told stories well, there would be only be one reason for that, because you, you would think there would be somebody who didn't do it. Some tribe somewhere or somebody, somebody lives in the woods and they don't, you know, whatever in the jungle or whatever or in the desert someplace. You would think, oh, they well, they don't. Right. Because they're isolated from the rest of us. But they all do. We all do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And strangely, as Joseph Campbell found out that we all tell the same stories. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Different culture. But um, it's because. Stories exist to pass on survival information. That's why. So when you said, you said you can sum it up in one word, that word is survival. survive. Yeah. Survival. I, it's a, it, but it sounds so small. I mean, when you talk about that, Brian, like when you know why something exists, you know how to use it. Like we, we use the example of like, you could use a chainsaw to open up a beer, but that will make a mess because chainsaws weren't made to open up beers. You could do it. But once you understand why something exists, you know how to use it. When you said survival, all of a sudden I realized that, my God, storytellers have the best job in the world. <laughs> right. They have the best job in the world. Their job is literally to help people all the time. Yeah. Your job yeah. is to help people all the time. Help people go from stuck to unstuck, from not knowing to knowing. Like, I go, oh, my God, it's so much deeper than, you know, as a film person, uh, I was like, oh, you know and make something that's entertaining or funny or whatever. And it's like, oh shit, it's way deeper than that. I got to give people a gift because other people have given me gifts. Right. Like we talk about it, how when, when, when I visual, I started visualizing this and we talk about it with our customers, our clients sometimes where I'll say, when you sit down, you're having a conversation with somebody, you all imagine you have a bunch of like baseball cards and every baseball card is a different piece of survival information. When people are talking, all they're doing is exchanging cards. Mm -hmm. That's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. Oh yeah. man, you know, marriage is, you know, falling apart. I, you know, yeah, I, I think we're getting a divorce, but I don't know if I can handle it. And then your friend goes, you know what? I remember feeling like that. Bam. Here comes the story. You yeah. know, your, your kid's going to school. I'm getting picked on. I don't know what to do. It's like, I know what that was like. Boom. Here comes the story. It's like, this is what we're doing. And you can watch it almost like a little bit of medicine. You can watch it heal them. Yeah. Like, you know, having little kids, Brian, I, I mean, you know, I see this all the time. We're like, they'll be worried or stressed or anxious about something. You tell them a story and all of a sudden you can literally see their body go like, okay okay right it's healing right yeah um so so it sounds simple but once you said that it really started creating a logic mm -hmm. that helped get me out of jams all the time and so when you say survival uh 
will you qualify that a little bit? Because I know that a lot of times people think that just means physical. Yeah, that's what often happens. They go right to physical and they and then they start coming up with exceptions. They're, that's a oh. certain kind of learner um, where they go, I got to think of all the exceptions. Um, the problem with that kind of learning is uh, then you never learn the rule. <laughs> right. Because you disregard it because there are exceptions, right? Yeah. So, uh, so you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, now you haven't learned the rule. You don't get any better usually. Um, yeah. But sometimes that's not the goal of people. The goal sometimes is I want to look smart here. So I'm going to disregard that. Right. You know, they have other reasons, but um, uh, yeah. So they automatically go to physical survival, but that's, that's, there's all kinds of survival. So physical survival is one, but there's also um, social survival about how to behave. Um, there's uh, spiritual survival or emotional survival, which, you know, any 12 step program where people are sharing stories are about those things. Right. Um, oh, this is how you survive that. Right. You, you, if somebody has been through a traumatic experience of some kind and, um, and it's similar to your experience in some way. Um, what what you can get out of knowing it, especially if they're ahead of you in this experience, what you get out of it is amazing because um, you can see their experience, you can see yourself in it, and you say, oh, if they've survived it, then I can survive it. If they lived through it, then I can live through it. Um, that's a kind of survival information. But there's cultural survival. Like, well, you, you know, talked about Oscar Schindler a minute ago. Yeah. Right. Great example, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what's interesting about that is, and that's spiritual survival, right? Um, what's interesting about that is uh, there are people who I think misread Schindler's List, that story. Because, uh, in fact, um, Terry Gilliam, who hates Schindler's List, because he's one of these people who doesn't like simple answers. Um, simple doesn't mean simplistic, by the way. Mm. Um, where he's like, well, the Holocaust, you know, this is a, uh, a success story about the Holocaust and the Holocaust is not about successes and the Holocaust isn't about, it's about, you know, the failure of humanity and it's all these things. And, um, but not understanding, I think how stories work, um, that it's not a story about the Holocaust. It's a story about one man during the Holocaust. Right, right. The Holocaust is a big subject, and you can tell minimum six million stories about the Holocaust. Right. So um, this director, this other director, the um, Terry Gilliam's response should be, "I'll make a movie about the Holocaust that says what I think it should say." That should be his response. You have six mm. million stories you can tell. So you know, yeah. and that's just it's talking about Jewish people who were killed. That doesn't. We're not talking about the homosexuals. We're not talking about anybody. Yeah, like, right. There's at least six million stories to tell. So. Yep. Um, but you know, that's, this is a story about, um, how you can be a human being, even under the worst circumstances, you don't have to lose your humanity, even under the worst circumstances. That's not a story worth telling. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yep. Right. Um, I think that that is a very valuable story. That's a very valuable story. Yeah, uh, that it's little survival information where you're you're in a tough spot, more than likely a spot not nearly as tough as the one that Oscar yeah. Schindler had to navigate. And you mm -hmm. go, well, if another person can try to do the right thing in the midst of something like that, well, mm -hmm. I certainly can do the right thing in the midst of something like this. Right. Yeah. And, and those stories pop in your head and they pop in your head for a reason. Yeah. Right. When I. Um, uh I, when I was a janitor for a while, one of my jobs and the job, uh, it was a hard job for me for a lot of reasons. Being a janitor was hard for all kinds of reasons. But one of the reasons it was hard for me was my job was to, to um, all the garbage in this building would sort of get brought down to me down at the dock, the sort of loading dock, and I would put it in the dumpster. Well, this particular building had several restaurants in it. so every day they were throwing away pounds and pounds of food 
Um, and at Thanksgiving and Christmas, um, they would throw whole turkeys away that were still hot. Like I would have to wait for hours to throw that stuff out because it was still hot. Sometimes untouched, sometimes just the breast cut off of a turkey or something. Um, and uh, there was a bakery, and so they threw away pastries. Everywhere. And I was told that uh, I could not give that food to people. Like it was out, you know, the alley is where I was, and there'd be these homeless people asking for food. And they were like, you'll lose your job if you give people this food. And I remember asking, can't we give this food away? Can't they give it away? Can't they work it out? And uh, this is a club, a uh, private club, kind of a country club kind of club. And they were like, well, there's lawsuits and we'd be liable and this and that. It's like, there's a lot of lawyers in this club. I'm sure they could work it out if they <laughs> care. If they right. care, I'm sure yeah. they could work it out. They don't care. And yeah. um, so uh, people would ask me for food. And all I could think is, I don't want to tell the story to myself about who I was in this moment. And I needed that job. But I thought, I, this job is not worth my soul. Right? Um, I've been hungry. I know what that's like. Um, so I, my, jo my bigger job is to feed these people. Hmm. My bigger job. I like that. That's great. Right. And, and I, I didn't want to be fired, but I did want somebody to look me in the eye and tell me they were firing me for feeding people. I did kind of <laughs> want that to happen. Yeah, um, sure. Even yeah. though I didn't want to lose the job. And so they were cool about it. They knew I would get in trouble. And so I would sneak them food and stuff. Um, but uh, cause you have to lock up the food, you know, you have to lock the dumpster up and stuff. So I would give people food. Um, but, um, and that this is not about me being a good dude. It has nothing to do with that, but it has to do with stories in my head. And it had to do with me thinking about all of the people. This was not the Holocaust, but it was hungry people. And I thought about, I was following orders, which is the thing you hear about the, the Nazi camp, right? That yeah. we're like, I was following orders and, and they only do one part, right? So there's somebody who just drives the train. They don't burn anybody. They don't kill anybody. I just drive the train. I just yep. do this part. I just guard the whatever. I just, That's right. right. And I just thought, oh, I'm just a cog in the wheel. And I could easily say, well, I would lose my job. I can easily say that. But, um, but I had enough stories in my head that I realized I didn't want to be that person. That's uh, right. You know, um, that that was going to be a poor excuse when I was on my deathbed <laughs> thinking yeah. about who I had been. Um, and that's where wisdom comes from. Like you, you said before that you talked about how stories are the collective wisdom. Will you kind of unpack that a little bit? Sure. So, um, yeah, stories of the collective wisdom of everybody who's ever lived. So we have stories, for instance, that are thousands of years old. We have stories so old that nobody even speaks the languages they were first told in. Right. Uh, like the Epic of Gilgamesh. Right. Yep. Nobody speaks those languages. Uh, well, here's the funny thing. You got me this. This is an actual replica. Replica yeah. of the actual Epic of Gilgamesh, like a piece of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's how old this like so <laughs> this is not a you know, this is not uh on a tablet of sorts. I guess it is a tablet. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like but we keep this around. Remember how 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 far back this stuff goes, right? Yeah. So at so we have stories that are that old, and I think that, that they're that old, that stories themselves survive if they have survival information in them. Yep. They, they reproduce, right? I tell it to you, you tell it to somebody, somebody tells it, and that goes on for thousands of years often, especially if there's real information in there people can use. Aesop, they put up his statue 500 years after he was dead. Uh, Aesop, yeah. Yeah, so 500 years after he was killed, his stories have been around that long that they're like, we got to put a statue up of this guy. <laughs> yeah. Think about that. That's a yeah. hell of a storyteller. You know, yeah. 500 years. You imagine if you made a film and 500 years later, they're like, put up a statue of Spielberg. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like, because it was that helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, well, you had an actual question. What well, it was, it? It, you said the collective wisdom of every man, woman, and child that ever lived. I, yeah. what I always loved about that line was it helped for me go like, Oh, wisdom is the collection of stories. So if you want to be wise, collect as many stories as possible. Right. And it made it very concrete. So now 
I try to practice. If somebody's telling a story and I, I hear it, I'll be like, oh, I better get this. I better get to listen. This. this is how you become wise. This is yeah. how you go. This Well, you're like, well, I know my job is to not give them food, but my first job is to feed them, mm-hmm. right? It's like, that's wisdom. So you want to be wise, collect stories. What you've said before, that Einstein said that, you know, you know. Yeah. Yeah. When people yeah. asked Einstein, somebody asked him, how do I make my kids smart? He said, read them fairy tales and then read them more fairy tales. I think that people thought that was a quip or that was funny or that was it's like, no, Einstein, like us, was dyslexic and dyslexics are very practical. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I think he meant it literally. Yep. Read them fairy tales. That's how you do it. Yep. Um, if you have kids, watch this. My kid, I, I have four kids. They are consuming. Like, it's like they eat stories. That's exactly like, what it's like. Yeah, you guys want to hear this story? And they all just look at you kind of like, yeah. Well, because their little brains are like, I need as much survival information as possible. Yep. Right. From a yep. recall standpoint, like I, I told you, I used to teach my buddy, Steve, I, um, I, he was taught the UW and um, it was a class of all Japanese students. And I would go and I would talk about marketing stuff and I would, I would ask them, I would say, I would say, uh, when I say slow and steady wins the race, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Everybody in the class always like, yeah, the tortoise and the hare. And I'll be like, great. When, how old were you when you heard that story? I don't know. Uh, you know, almost nobody knows four, three, when I was like, great. What was your address when you were that old? I don't know that. Then why can you remember the story? Yep. You can remember the story because your brain is going, I better remember the three little pigs because if a wolf ever shows up. And so the funny thing from a marketing or, or brand side or communication side, it's like, oh, we want brand recall. Then give somebody survival information. Right. You know, it's right. like, why didn't no, nobody ever remembers my speeches? Because you're not actually giving them anything. You're just talking. Yeah. Right. What was the gift? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and all of those things are gifts. Yep. Yeah. People will remember you forever if you teach them how to survive. That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and I think it is very much like food. Um, stories are very much like food because if you think about it, we consume stories even more than we consume food. Like we yeah. consume stories almost the entire time we're awake. Um, we're either telling ourselves in, through memory a story as we work, as we have a conversation, as we hear conversations. Um, uh, and then we get home from work or now we, a lot of us work at home, but right. Uh, but at the end of the day, what do you want to do? Well, I want to relax and <laughs> hear a story. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. And that's, and that's either, that can be a news story or news stories. It doesn't matter. It's still stories, right? Uh, you want to curl up with a book or you want to watch Netflix or whatever. That's all that's you. You cannot go through a day without consuming stories. And I think you're right. The kids, um, kids are trying to live. They're trying to figure it out. And that's why I think they're hungry for stories. Um, I mean, yeah. Watch kids at story time in any school or any, like it's, it's, it's this. And I, I think actually we would be better off if we taught more through stories instead of yeah. time for stories. That's right. It, it's know. it's the operate it's a human operating system. Like yeah. that's where we talk about who storytellers are writing the code of the next generation. Like if you're a developer and you're going like, oh great, how's that work? It's like whoever's putting the stories out, that's what's developing the thought process and literally the identity of the next run of human beings. Which means the storytellers have an incredibly uh, significant and powerful responsibility in society. Uh, can you talk about? the concept of medicine versus poison, because I think that that ties directly into the, these Mm -hmm. kind of foundational elements. Yeah. Well, somebody asked me about something that is pure entertainment once. And um, I started thinking about that and, and I once saw an evolutionary biologist on some show, I don't know, on PBS or something. Anyway, he was talking about uh, the evolution of the species, and he said that he was talking about how we evolved to crave sugar. Now, in the wild, sugar comes in fruit, right? Sugar comes in some vegetables. Sugar comes in these things that are good for us. And also, we were a more active species. 
uh, you know, so we're, we, we have to have energy for running energy, right? So all eating all that sugar made sense. We burn it off. Um, it made sense. And there were also nutrients we were getting from the fruit. He said, now we can extract the sugar from the fruit. So all we have is the sugar. But now sugar is essentially poison to us in that form. It doesn't stop us from craving. We still crave it. We are biologically wired to crave it. But now it's poison. And so um, if you are not giving anyone any nutrients and you're giving them all the sugar, uh, which I think that people have learned how to do through demographics, mm. right? What do these people want? They like fast cars. Great. Give them only fast cars. Mm-hmm. Sugar. Right? Um, yeah, you can make a lot of money selling sugar. Ask Coca-Cola. You can do that. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean you're not killing people. That's right. You know, Um you can also give them something. You can give them something that um, that they enjoy, um, that tastes good, in quotes. Yeah, sure. Um, but has nutrients. Yeah. Like, we talk about that, like, E.T. is insane. Like, that movie's insane. Yeah. It's also super fun, and, you know, it's like, but, I yeah. mean, God, what a great, like, it's, it's all there, mm-hmm. you know? Jaws that the say like all these classics we talk about the classics do that yeah right yep the classics do do that they don't you know now we're in this weird space where you choose where you're either going to say something or you're going to entertain people and you can't do both those really mm-hmm. it's a wonderful life does uh yeah. the wizard of oz does yeah we're talking about Alien jojo rabbit yep, yep jojo rabbit does right you can do that a new hope does right I just think our standards have been lowered so much, Brian, that it's like, it's like if all you've ever had was fast food and then somebody's like, you know, that stuff's going to kill you, right? I'm going to make you some dinner. And you're like, what's that? And you're like, I'm going to go out in the garden and I'm going to pick some vegetables and I'm going to cook this stuff. And you're like, whoa, what? I didn't even know that's where food comes from. And you're like, yeah, man. Like, right. Like I told you, I grew up on an army base. And all of a sudden, I remember the first time somebody took me to a fancy dinner and being like, I didn't know food was like this. Right. Right. And, and so I think a lot of times, especially when you're talking to younger folks, they don't watch older films. They don't necessarily read classic novels, stuff like that. And they'll say the equivalent of like, oh, my God, can you think of a better a better thing to eat than a Big Mac? And you go, well, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, Have you, oh, you've never actually had anything but Big Macs. That's the problem. Right. You don't know there's another option. Mm-hmm. You haven't seen these other things. You haven't read these other things. Because when you do, it will immediately change your palate. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have this, um, you know, I have this reputation, which is semi-true, mm-hmm. uh, that I don't like movies made after 1984. <laughs> uh-huh. People roll their eyes and, well, that's ridiculous. And then they start, again, coming up with exceptions, right? I, so here's the thing. That's not true. There are movies I like after 1984. Having said that, something happened around that time and the consistencies of, of movies changed. How they were made got changed. Who made decisions about what got made changed. Um, the committee involved in making films changed. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and I can feel it in the, I didn't know that was happening when I was watching them in 1984. I just went, why isn't this as good as the stuff that was coming out just before this? Um, you know, um, there was a time when, you know, like I always mentioned 1982, but in 1982, you could go see a different movie every weekend and they're all classics now. E.T. or Tootsie or Gandhi or, you know, like it's, it's, a, it's a Star Trek two, like, yeah. There was a level of, of it was just consi- more consistent. So now maybe you'll get one of those in a year. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Um, if, we'll just pull up the AFI I, I top 100 list and look at the dates. 
Yeah. Right. I mean, since 2000, look at how many there are. Yeah. I mean, it's keep a, in mind, that's a long time. Yeah. That's a long ass drought. Yeah. It's been a long time because things shifted. Right. And we started using demographics and giving people sugar and, mm-hmm. you know, so I think things, sure, there was some stuff that was made after that. That's really good. But it's the stuff. Um, everybody agrees that it's good. Like Die Hard is a really good example of something that is, uh, has something to say, mm-hmm. but it's also, but also tastes good in, in quotes. Right. Yeah. Um, th- so that was made afterwards. I mean, I know it's an old movie to people who are a lot younger than me, but it's not, it's, it's, it's after 1984. So, uh, um, you know, occasionally it happens. It happens, you know, it, um, Schindler's List, which we mentioned, Searching for Bobby Fisher, like it happens, Shawshank, yeah, right. Um, but it's it's rarer, yeah. And I think it because of the machinery. The machinery now produces poison, and they're okay with it. They're okay with selling you sugar water. And I remember um, I was in line at a store or something, and uh, like it, the summer, there was a summertime, and some movie had come out. It was some big action movie, and. So the checker was talking to a customer and saying, oh, I saw such and such a movie. And uh, the checker was like, how was it? And the person was like, well, it was pretty good. It was fun. It was, you know, it was, it, you know, it was just fun. And, but there was no real story. But what do you expect from an action movie? And I'm like, I expect there to be a story in an action movie. Raiders of the Lost Ark had a story. Mm-hmm. I heard has a story. They don't, you don't have to not have a story because you have an yeah, aliens. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know? Uh, but it's interesting that now on this side of history, that's what people think. Well, you get one or the other. You get a good thing that matters or you get sugar. You can't have both those things. Like, that's not true. That's never been true. But now people believe that it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and the funny thing is, if you look at the amount of films that come out, the amount of stories that come out now, there's never been anything like it. Yeah, you know, but how often do you sit down and, and pull up any one of these uh you know, new kind of channels and go like, Oh man, I can't wait. It's, it's searching, 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 searching. Right. It's a, if fundamentally we've lost a step and a lot of the stuff that, that we talk about in the show. Um, and if anybody wants to go back into the archive, this is all stuff that people used to know. This was all obvious stuff. Mm-hmm. Like if you worked at MGM in 1946, <laughs> people would be like, well, yeah, what are you talking about? This is basic stuff. It's not like it's not like a guy like Billy Waterman, like you've been blowing his mind with the stuff that you talk about on the podcast. <laughs> right, right? right. He'd be like, well, yeah, I'm a professional. I don't understand. And we know that because when you read those people, Hitchcock and those types of folks, they just talk like this. Right. This was just how this is what it meant to be a professional. Yeah. Right. You know, it's funny. When I was a kid, I read all about film and I would read these interviews and they would all have these sorts of ways of thinking about it. Like, well, the story has to have this. And, and I would just absorb it because I was trying to learn it. I wanted to do this, right? I thought it was basic information that you would need to know to work in Hollywood and work in the business. And then I got there and almost no one knew it. And I was shocked. I thought, well, you're supposed to know this, right? Like, no, no, you don't have to know that. We don't know that. No one knows that. In fact, we don't like that you do know it. Like, mm-hmm. it's this weird thing. Yeah. It's like, well, that's what you think. It's like, no, it's not what I think. It's what Billy Wilder thought. It's what Patty Chesky thought. It's what Alfred Hitchcock thought. It's not what I think. Like, it's this weird mm-hmm. thing um, that people, um, they think it's an unknown. You can't really know how it works. Some people are just talented. You know, um, I think there's a, like, I, I had a, um, for a while, I, I I was talking to a guy like I met him at a I met him at a uh, film festival, and we kept in touch for a little while. And he was an executive; had been an executive at Warner Brothers. And he there was a meeting of all these executives, people who greenlight movies, and you know all of that. And they were all sitting around this table. And he mentioned Casablanca, and he was the only one who'd seen it. Now, at Warner Brothers. That, uh, yeah. So they make Casablanca. In, so in general, if you're in movies and you haven't seen Casablanca, but if you work at Warner Brothers and you haven't seen it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you can walk right outside and see the stage where they shot it. Right. 
so like I don't understand how you wouldn't know it. Secondly, it almost always shows up as number two on the greatest films ever made. And you yeah. don't know it and you work in the movie business and you work at Warner Brothers. And that's pretty normal. But but see this is there's a there's a disconnect when it comes to stories. Like I, I told you I was I was texting with you, I was painting my living room this weekend, so listening to a lot of podcasts, and I was listening to some um some you know, Conan O'Brien needs a friend podcast and you know, I was listening to one with John Cleese and I was listening to one with Bill Burr, I was listening to one where he's talking about comedians. You go listen to them. Listen to how comedians talk. All they're doing, there's a at least a quarter of each one of those shows is comedians talking about old school comedians. Yeah. They're talking about, they're talking about uh, WC Fields. They're, t- they're talking, they're talking about Buster Keaton. They're talking about their context as professional comedians. They know all of the stuff that came before them. Right. And so when you're listening to them, talk to each other, they're like, you remember that bit where Johnny used to do this thing? And they're like, Oh, well, you know, you know, who did that before was that actually George Burns used to do a bit like that. And they're just talking Listen yeah. to how they know the history. They understand in order to be a professional, you have to understand kind of where you came from, right? Mm-hmm. It, we've lost a step when it comes to story. It's a, it's the strangest thing. Um, but, but I think from a principle standpoint, if you at least learn the principles that we're talking about, maybe it'll, maybe it'll make you excited to go back and see them in action. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a good place to start. Yeah. I think when it comes to, and we talk a lot about movies, but other people, can use all this information. Anybody who's a storyteller, you know, oh yeah, can use this information. We talk well, a lot. Well, let's, there was there's that there's that we just saw um, one of the folks listening to the podcast. They're taking these principles and they're showing how to use it to make uh, how it should inform um, you know design principles, yeah. right? I mean, you and I are working on a book right now where all we're doing is really taking your story principles and showing how to apply it to all of mass communication. So every one of these things, when it's like have a definition of what you do, right? right? Understand why what you do exists. And how right. it ties back into survival of the species. Like, ask really basic questions. It will fundamentally change the way you make apps or the way you run your bakery or the way that you, you know, run your household or your budget. Like, these are all transferable principles yeah. based on the logic that has evolved from a human, from our species standpoint, that actually helps us survive in a, in a world that is at best indifferent to our existence. Right, right. right. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. And so um, what I have found with, you know, I have a, I have a, a group of um, mostly former students. Uh, it's a small group um, and it's a film group. And I, I, I give them a film to watch uh, one week and then they'll watch it. And then they get together. Uh, on, they get together over Zoom and they, I, they don't use Zoom, but whatever. But they get together and they... Um, they discuss it and they discuss the principles and where they saw them. And they're kind of just honing their craft by watching a lot of these old movies that they, they um, have heard of, but maybe not seen or seen and didn't know what to look for. So I tell them what to look for. And occasionally I'll pop in to one of their things just to see how they're doing and keep them on track. But uh, mostly I let them do it on their own. And it's interesting to see how their perceptions have changed. And what happens after a while with older things, first, there's a barrier, right? So, excuse me, there are people who, there are people who can't watch black and white movies because, you know, I grew up in an era when, you know, people had black and white TVs and color TVs and you sometimes they wouldn't even know if a movie was in color or black and white. If it came on TV and you watched it, you wouldn't even know. Um, and you could watch something in color. You could watch something in black and white, and it didn't mean anything to you. It actually had no meaning. Um, color was nice, um, but a lot of stuff was in black and white. They were showing movies from black and white eras, so you just didn't know. So you were fine with it. And sometimes uh, black and whites, you're like, oh, this is a great old black and white movie. Like that was part of the appeal. And as color became more and more normal, then generations grew up who were like, I can't even watch my. So that becomes a thing that separates you from the story. So there might be a good story inside of there, but you don't like the external. You can't break through, right? Um, the world changes, right? So uh, in the 1930s, people had one kind of phone, and in the 1950s, they had another kind of phone. And then, ni- you know, so even just seeing somebody with an old candlestick phone, right? It's like, oh, was that their phone? Like, 
you know, as we get further and further away from the world as it looked then and how like cars or whatever, um, the way people gesture, the, the slang people use, all those things are barriers to you getting to the core, getting to the story, getting to surviving. But if you do the work and you keep watching, what happens is those things fall away and all you can see is the story. Um, they just disappear. It, it, it's just an artifice. It's just the thing on top of that survival yeah. information. Um, and you don't, I swear, you don't even see those things that you think. Yeah. They completely disappear. That's right. Um, and it's, it's amazing. And the craft is just, it's inspiring, right? Yeah. I mean, like, you're not going to find a funnier movie than bringing a baby. You're just not going to find one. <laughs> you know, it just, it's just, or, you know, or yeah. something like it hot. It's like, there's yeah. so much gold out there. If you're drinking salt water all day long, understand there's some fresh water you can take a look at. And the coolest thing about it is you'll start to not only understand the principles and see them in action, but hopefully you'll start to understand um, that you have the power to do those things, to right. tell stories that dramatically change people's lives and, and are truly a gift to the rest of the folks in our species. And I think that ultimately the goal with the show, I mean, we don't monetize the show or any of that stuff. Like what we're trying to do is go, okay, like if you only knew uh, the natural abilities that you had, if you only knew how to kind of harness what you already have, man, the differences we could make, it could be yeah. so cool. Not like, I, because ultimately I think, I think both of our goal is to be able to just go to the movies and be like, that was awesome. You know, it's like when Jojo rabbit came out, it was like, we started texting. It's like, this is awesome. Or Derek's new movie in and of itself that you're watching it. You're like, Oh my God, this is awesome. It's like, can you imagine that at scale? I mean, that's what we're all hoping for. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, that's it. It's no more complicated than that. And so uh, again, I hope that, I hope that, uh, I also also thank you to the Coloop Network and the folks like Andy for inviting us into in, into to be a part of the podcast network. Um, Want to thank the people who've been listening for the last couple of years and, and also the folks that are just now started listening. Um, and I, I really hope that these episodes and the old episodes and the episodes coming will uh, just help you not only get unstuck but help you get going and to build your confidence um, that you can go out in there and tell the stories that really matter to you and that you can literally change the world around you through the stories you tell. That's a, yeah, exactly right. I couldn't agree with more with everything you said. There, so I, I have nothing to add. <laughs> Thanks, the first Brian. time in my life. <laughs> <laughs> hey, first time for everything, right? Yeah. It's awesome. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, thanks. This program is produced in Seattle, Washington by Belief Agency. 